If uh, you were not here last Lord's Day, we started just a little two-part kind of mini-series on moving past tragedy and pain, and last week we talked about what God does to help us do that, and we looked at Revelation 21, the first four verses, a very famous passage of Scripture today. Uh, We're talking about moving past tragedy and pain and more what we can do. And uh, we look to 2 Kings 5, a story of Naaman being healed of leprosy. And I'll read these verses for us. So we're looking at the first 14 verses. That gives us most of this story. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Have you ever had a time in your life where you anticipated some future uh, happening taking place in a certain way and then when you actually experienced it, it was totally different? 
I know as a first-year seminary student back in 1980, I often wondered what the church would be like where I preached my first sermon. You know, at Erskine Theological Seminary, they kind of, the faculty sort of pushed us a little to get on out in churches and start preaching. I was still in my first semester. I didn't know anything about preaching a sermon. But I was taking a course on preaching that semester. And so I told uh, the worship professor that I would try and preach at a church later on over in the spring, later in the semester when I had learned a little more. And if you're a positive person like I am, you know, when you imagine something, well, you imagine it positively. You know, I imagined some church somewhere with maybe a hundred people who were listening to every single word and, and no one was sleeping, I mean, uh, resting their eyes. Now, let me tell you the reality of my experience. The church was Bethia Presbyterian, a little southern Presbyterian church out in the middle of nowhere in Abbeville County. The building was about 100 years old. Now, that was 1980. So if it's still standing, it'd be almost 150 years old. It still had a stove in the middle of the floor right down front near the pulpit area. And I took a friend with me from seminary that day as moral support and when my worship professor assigned me this particular pulpit, he said, every young preacher needs to experience Bethiah Presbyterian. Well, I mean, I was naive, but I knew enough to know that that was a cryptic statement of some sort. And so the day arrived for me to lead worship at Bethiah and... Uh, there were about 12 people there that day. All of them, I would guess, were over 70 years of age except for uh, my friend and myself. And there were wasps everywhere. I mean, there were a lot more wasps than there were people in the congregation that day. Needless to say, it was an interesting day but a day that God used a little bit to teach me about my own pride and also a day to teach me a little bit about how He can work in any situation and through all kinds of different experiences and people. Now the reason I've told you all of this is because there are several parallels in our story about Naaman, how he expected his healing to go a certain way, how he was confronted with his own pride, how he saw God speaking through different kinds of people. But even with all of that in mind, we must not forget the main thrust of this story, how Naaman, a great man of power, began to suffer with the most dreaded disease of his day and time. You know, when we hear the word cancer, that does something to us from our doctor. I've heard it twice, and I can tell you from experience, it does something to you. And the way that we 
dread that word cancer or the way that many in our society today dread that word AIDS. This is how leprosy was dreaded by the people that we can read about in the pages of Scripture. And I want us to learn from his example and how he dealt with this time of tragedy and pain and suffering in his own life. Obviously, Naaman is not perfect, nor do I suggest that his example is. But one positive thing we see him do here in the midst of his need is to live above the fear of his reality to step out in courage. I don't have to tell you what life is like. You live it every day. There are life-changing decisions that face us from time to time, job changes from time to time. There are young people who daily have to deal with fitting in and what it costs to be popular. There are parents who have problems with their children and children who have problems with their parents. There are phone calls that come bearing bad news and medical reports which turn some of our nights into sleepless affairs? When was the last time some kind of pain or tragedy struck you in your life? Naaman experienced that with this leprosy. And instead of letting this terrible illness shake his resolve, he responds with courage. He decides to begin right in the middle of his pain and move forward. He demonstrates that response in that he went to his king for help. You know, with leprosy in that day and time, you were sort of banished from most people. You didn't go very many places. But in the middle of his tragedy, he he moved beyond his lack of control. He moved into action. And that's what we must do as well. You know, it takes courage to believe that you, that, that you can go on and live life as you're supposed to live without that child that you just lost or without that spouse or that sibling or that parent. It takes courage to redirect our energies when some disease or disability changes our future forevermore. Indeed, it takes faith to follow the call of God when it means resigning from that well-paying job in order to better care for one's family. There are really only two responses, it seems to me, when pain and tragedy strike. We can take the bitter road and complain and curse and whine and make life miserable for ourselves and for all those around us or with courage and God's help we can move from disaster to change. And that's what Naaman does here in this passage. But notice something else he does. Not only does he battle his fear and decide to act with courage, but he also battles his pride and is willing to move past it, which most likely is a far harder thing for you and I to accomplish in our own lives. 
We have to remember here that Naaman isn't, you know, just some little flunky for the king of Syria. He's the commander of his army. He's a great man in high favor with his master. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a man of action. He's a man who gives orders and he expects them to be carried out right on the spot. All of those serving as reasons as to why it would be hard for him to lower himself. All of those and more serving as reasons as to why he would tend to be prideful. And quite frankly, we don't have to guess about his pride. We can read about it right here in this text. In verses 11 and 12, when Elisha sent his servant out to tell Naaman to wash in the Jordan River seven times, we're told Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, I thought he would come out and, you know, do something great. Why in the world would I want to wash in a Jordan River? We have much better rivers in my homeland. So he turned, we're told, and went away in a rage. Now, that's a great example of his pride and obviously an example you and I should not follow. But look at the other examples contained in our passage this morning where he was able to move past his pride. In verse 4 we see where he's willing to listen to the young Hebrew maid. It's been said that one of the reasons that Scripture makes a big deal about how a little child shall lead them is because most big people don't tend to listen to little people. Whether that word little means age or position. But not only was he willing to listen to this young girl, he also went to see the king of Israel. You know, when verse 1 tells us that the Lord had given victory to Syria by Naaman, that means victory over Israel. In other words, the king of Israel was an enemy. And yet Naaman had to go to an enemy in order to ask a favor. Have you ever had to do that? You have to swallow a lot of pride in order to ask for a favor from someone with whom you are not on good terms. That's what Naaman does in this text. He also goes to the house of Elisha personally. Again, Naaman was a commander. He was used to giving orders and having people brought to him. He's not used to going down back alleys and knocking on doors. But Naaman realized that he was the petitioner. He moved his ego out of the way and made it all the way to Elisha's door. Of course, when Elisha failed to act the way in which he anticipated, he lost control. His pride got in the way. But the reason we can learn from Naaman is because he didn't stay there in no man's land surrounded by his ego. Once again, we see his willingness to put his pride out of the way when his servants point out the mistake he's making, we see this willingness to listen to the counsel of others. 
And not only did he listen to them, but he was able to hear the truth in what they were saying. And this is when we read that he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Now, I just want you to imagine that scene with me. Naaman, in all his glory, his chariots, his horses, his entourage, he arrives at the muddy Jordan River. That river is almost always muddy. In all his finery, he wades out into that water and dips himself seven times. Can't you just hear the people around him whispering, if he's willing to get down in that muddy river and look like a fool to be cured, he's willing to do anything. But you see, that's exactly what it takes to move past tragedy and pain and suffering, this willingness to let everything go to get every bit of ourselves out of the picture so that God can be seen and heard and known. And what we need to see here in this text is the parallel between moving past tragedy and pain and moving past a sinful life or a worldly life, or a faithless life, or whatever you want to call it. For when we as sinners come to this same state of mind and heart that we, like Naaman, are willing to do anything to submit to anyone for a cure, then and there we have hope. For we're accepting Christ on His terms. I mean, after all, there's very little difference, as someone once put it, between the words of the servants here, wash and be clean, and the words of the gospel, believe and be saved. Because both speak to a state of the heart. Both speak to placing our faith, our trust, our future in someone greater than ourselves. Naaman was willing to do that right there in that muddy Jordan River. Do you think that's a coincidence? That it's the Jordan River? The same river that centuries later another prophet by the name of John would use? The same river where he would call on the people of Jesus day and time to wash and be clean, to start on a new path in life through repentance of their sins? I don't think it's a coincidence at all. It's the same good news that we see all through the Bible. The same good news that we see in the book of Genesis, for example. When we're told that Abraham believed God and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. It's the same good news here in 2 Kings that Naaman yielded to God's will, believed the word of God from his prophet and was healed. The same good news in Acts where we see people say, believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. The same 
good news that God extends to you and to me. Certainly there are and will be tragedies in this life that we will experience and have to move 